life can be unpredictable at times, can it not? Sometimes life goes according to plan, and we have our calendars and things written down months and years in advance. We have time to prepare for them, to get ready for it. And then there are other events, like some this previous week, that they're sudden, they're life-changing, life-altering, often scary They completely catch us off guard. They stop our plans. They change our calendars. And everything in life seems like it's on shaky ground. You know those moments you've had them when you get that phone call. You see that text or you have that conversation. And sometimes we even physically have to steady ourselves because of the emotional or the relational struggle event that we're experiencing. We feel like we have to hold on to something because the very earth beneath our feet is just unsteady. Like in a boat out on the waves and a sudden storm arises and there's waves crashing in, wind blowing against us, the rain coming down. We no longer feel so strong. Whenever we no longer feel confident, it puts our faith to the test, does it not? When life seems out of control and chaotic. In those moments, whether you've experienced one this very week, or months ago, or maybe yours will come tomorrow. In those moments, where do we turn? I thought it would be fitting this morning if I shared with you three biblical passages that I go to when I feel like I have to hold on or I might fall over. So if you have your Bible, let's turn to the first one and turn to Psalm chapter 46. Psalm 46. Often a place that I will go to when the storms of life are raging. And you'll see why it is the perfect passage for that expression. Psalm 46, and if you're in one of the church Bibles, which you're welcome to take home with you, if you don't have one, there are those black Bibles and the seats in front of you, it'll be on page 471 if you happen to find yourself there. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters His voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, Behold the works of the Lord, how He has brought desolations on the earth. 
He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Let's be still for a moment. And let's pray to this God who will steady us in the storm. Let's pray. Lord, some of us here are on unshaky ground. We are on unsteady ground, on shaky ground. The kingdoms are tottering in our life and we feel overwhelmed. Normal is not normal anymore for us. Lord, some of us will experience those feelings in the weeks or months or years to come. Through all of it, though, we are reminded that you are God. We are not. You are with us. You are strong. And you will lead us to the end. So Lord, as we look at your word this morning, as we hear encouragements from you, even if the waves are pounding in on our souls this morning, pray that we would hear from you. I pray that we would know, know and feel your presence. And I ask that we would trust in you. Give us the gift of faith to trust in your promises. Amen. Psalm 46 reminds us in these seasons of turmoil that God is with us. We often forget that. We consider Him distant, as far away as if He has forgotten us, left us behind. He's doing His own thing, and here I am. My life is out of control. God, where are You? How many times through the Old Testament do you hear that version of or a version of that expressed by the prophets and the kings when they're under attack from literal armies and they're seeing their countrymen die and their cities burned to the ground and they remember the promises that God had given to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the promises to Moses, the promises to David and Solomon and, and then here they are and they're like, God, where are you? What are you doing? So many times in our lives, we cry out that same message. God, where are you? What are you doing? And so it's in those moments, let me encourage you to turn to Lamentations chapter 3. So Psalm 46 encourages us to 
remember that God is with us, and to just be still. In the book of Lamentations, there's another encouragement we can hear from the Lord. In Lamentations, one of those small books in the Old Testament, right after the book of Jeremiah. If you find Jeremiah, just keep turning to the right. If you're in a church Bible, it's on page 688. Make it easy for you. 688 in one of those black Bibles. But Jeremiah, the author of the book of Lamentations, is writing this book as a lament, hence the name Lamentations. And he's writing it when his city, his people, Jerusalem, the Israelites, are under attack by the kingdom of Babylon. And many of the surrounding cities and and even the the northern nation of Israel had been destroyed for quite some time. And now Judah, the southern nation, is about to be destroyed. And the capital city, Jerusalem, is under siege. They are literally starving to death and eating one another. They are killing each other in fear. The king does not like what Jeremiah says, so he throws him into a pit, leaves him to die, but through some generosity of some of the soldiers, they're helping him out. But Jeremiah feels all alone. He feels scared. He knows what's coming, that the city is going to fall, that God's judgment is going to be carried out against them, and that everyone he loves is going to be killed that the few who remain alive will be taken away as slaves or run and hide. This is where Jeremiah Jeremiah writes the book, Lamentations, and he cries out to the Lord. And in the beginning of chapter 3, chapter 3, verses 1 through 18, is Jeremiah's heart expressing the frustration, the fear, the doubt to the Lord. And he uses some amazing phrases of God seeming to be against Jeremiah. Giving this picture as if God is stomping on the head of Jeremiah and smashing his face into the gravel so that he has like rocks in his teeth and in his mouth and he's being stomped on as if God shot an arrow right through his kidneys. It's just like this amazing picture of God. Where are you? Why are you assaulting me? But then here comes verses 19 and following. And that's where we want to read this morning. So Lamentations 3.19 Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind. And therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. 
It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion. According to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. When the storms of life come, don't believe the lies of this world or the evil one that likes to whisper in our ears that God has failed you. That God's love has run out. That He is no longer faithful. He may used to have been faithful, but now no longer. Don't believe the lies that somehow you have stepped out of God's love. That this tragedy, this event is proof that the faith you had in God was in vain. God is not too busy for you. He has not forgotten you. And He does care for you, though he may bring grief at times. So like Jeremiah, remind your soul of these truths. Yes, grief and tragedy come. Yes, life can be difficult. Jeremiah is literally in a pit of death, waiting for everyone around him to die. Fearful and doubtful. He is in a storm of life and he needs to steady himself. His ship is rocking through a raging storm. And yet he says, God loves me. God is faithful. God has mercy. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Jeremiah used this opportunity of tragedy to remind himself that all this around me, even things that are good, family, friends, love, charity, all the God gifts that God gives to us are, could be good, but they are not what we so desperately need in life. They are not what will satisfy us. They're not what our soul yearns for and thirsts for. Only God can meet that need in our lives. And so Jeremiah reminds himself, yes, I may lose it all here. But if the Lord is my portion, He will satisfy. And so I hope in Him. And so Jeremiah does not listen to the lies and the whispers. Instead, he calms his heart. Like Psalm 46 says, he is still. And he waits. He waits for the Lord. He sits in silence. And he trusts that God has compassion on him. And as he waits, the Lord meets him in that pit. 
So my prayer is that when you are facing that raging storm in your life and you've got to steady yourself and after Psalm 46 you say, okay, I get it. I need to be calm. I need to wait. I can't fix it all around me. I know that I am not God. He is. And so I will quietly wait. As you wait, hear the whisper of the Lord which Jeremiah hears in chapter 3, starting in verse 55. Look down to there. Jeremiah says this, I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I called on you. And you said, do not fear. Notice that God did not say, don't worry, I'm going to fix it. Don't worry, I will protect you. Don't worry, I will crush the enemy, the Babylonian army. Don't worry, I'll teach that king a lesson, a thing or two for throwing you in this pit. Now the whisper that he heard from God in the midst of the turmoil was a simple message. Do not Life's events may continue on. Grief may become real. Tragedies may strike. Doubts may come in. Life may be out of control. But hear the whisper of the Lord. That even though all that could be true, there's no need to be afraid. Because God is with us. He is with you in your pain. And He knows what you're going through. And He will be your portion. And He will satisfy your soul for eternity. Do you believe that this morning? That even in the chaos, God still Loves you. It's one of the hardest things, I think, to believe for me. Does God really love me when it feels unloving what is happening in life? Does God really love me when those around me can't even love me well? Does God really love me if this is how He treats me? This is why we need His Word to steady our hearts and souls. So that we can say to ourselves that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Even this morning. It is new every morning because it needs to be new every morning. We need to be reminded that God is faithful even when we don't feel His faithfulness. So do you feel God's love for you this morning? Do you believe it when the storms rage around you? When we describe God's love, it is almost impossible to describe it fully. And so we use metaphors, we use types 
and things in this life, God, even through Scripture, uses different stories and illustrations to describe His love for us. Many of them are that God's love for us is like a father who loves his child. A perfect father who loves his son. So what kind of love is a fatherly love? Well, years ago, many years ago now, we were driving down to see my brother in Texas where he lives. And it's about, I don't know, 12 hours or so when you're driving with kids. And our kids do great in the car. And this is when my oldest, who's, you know, 19 now, and he was probably four, five, something like that. So pretty young. And so he had done really well all the way down. And we were at the final gas station stop right before the last stretch to get to my brother's house. Well, at the last gas station stop, Jeremiah had been doing so well, he looks up at this slushy machine and says, Daddy, can I have a large red slushy? And like large, large red slushy for a kid this big, you know, and in my infinite wisdom, I said, you know, he'll never finish it and I'll just finish it for him. Might as well get the large and then we can share. So I got him a large red slushy. And here we go, just kept on driving, traveling down, and he's just going to town on it in the back seat. And after about 45 minutes, I'm thinking, oh, it's maybe my turn. I think I reached back. It was gone. <laughs> yeah, gone. To the last drop, he finishes it. So I'm like, wow, you know, there's a sense of pride there, though, as a dad. I'm like, I'm going to put him in some contests here. This is good. But we get to my brother's house, and we're in his new apartment with his wife, and they don't have any children, and that is evident by the way their house is laid out because they have this real bright white shag carpet everywhere. And uh, sharp corners on everything. You know, it's just, it's not a kid-friendly place. That's okay. But we're sitting there. And as we're, we've brought our bags up and we're starting to chat, sitting around in the living room. And you know, when you look across and you can see on somebody's face that just something's not right. I look over at Jeremiah and I'm thinking, hmm, there's something wrong with him. And I remember the large red slushy. I look down at the white carpet. I'm like, oh no. And then sure enough, his face turns from something's not right to something's coming up. You know? And my reaction was just, I popped up and I get in front of him like this. And he unloads onto me. And like, you know, I'm just... I got it, I got it! And I catch the red slushy. He decided to finally share. And, and I, you know, we kind of tiptoed to the bathroom and just, we got all cleaned up. Not a drop landed on the carpet, right? That, it was awesome. But after we cleaned up, I come and I sit back down and my brother's face is, Why is it your first reaction 
that when somebody starts to throw up, that you catch it. Like, it would never enter my mind to be like, I got it! And my response to him is what I said. I said, that's what a father does. Catches the mess. That's what a father does. Because he loves his children. He wades through the turmoil and the tragedies and the difficulties and the, the mess that we create in our lives. He catches it. He's there for us when we need Him most. When we are at our weakest, He is at His strongest. When we're at our most embarrassing, He's there to comfort us. When we're in our greatest need, He's there to satisfy our aching heart. And to prove that, I want to look at the final passage that we're going to look at this morning. It's Ephesians chapter 2. This is another passage I would go to when the ship of my life is trying to survive a storm. Ephesians chapter 2. If you're in church Bible, it's page 976. So Psalm 46 tells us to be still and know that He is God. To calm our minds, quiet our hearts, and trust in His love. Lamentations experiences the real grief of life and the difficulties that we're in. And yet, when we're in that pit, we can know that our Heavenly Father comes to us and says, do not fear. His love will be there for us. And it will be steady. And He will be our portion. And in Ephesians 2, it walks us through this process of how this is possible. So let me read this for us. Ephesians 2, just verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in, what, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk 
in them. You see, this logical progression of this passage is it starts where we are. In our mess. And you can't get more messy than being dead. Dead in our trespasses and sins. Lost in this world. Following the devil in all of his ways. And following the lies of this world. Believing all things untrue about God. About ourselves. About how life works. We are walking in disobedience. We are a mess. This is where the storm comes from in the first place. From our sin. Now, maybe not specifically that this tragedy is a result of this particular sin in your life. That's not always the case. But what is the case is that sin brings death. Sin brought toil to the soil. And it makes life hard. The broken relationships we have in this life are because of sin. The sickness and pain and cancers and hospital visits because of sin in general. And death is because of sin. The sin of Adam and Eve and the sins of every human that's ever existed, including you. It's because of our sin that we are in our mess. We were busy drinking the red slushy that was so fun going down. But it's destroying us. It's destroying this world. And so we are lost in our dead trespasses. But this is where God finds us. This is when God looks down at us and in His steadfast love, because of His great mercy, because of His faithfulness, not because of anything that we have done, but because of His love, He jumps down to us and says, I got it. I will catch your mess. I will save your life. I will bring forgiveness And I will change you from a child of wrath to my child. I will adopt you into my family. I will change your heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh that longs for me and will be satisfied in me. I will change the outcome of your life to one that has hope rather than hopelessness. God comes and catches our mess. And He does it because, verse 4, He is rich in mercy and because He has such a great love for us. Think about this statement for a minute. This great unearned love of God our Father for us. That He shows us while we were still sinners, it says in Romans 5.8. That's when Christ died for us. And it's this great love that He has for us. It's an unmeasured love. It's a love without bounds. It's a love that we can hardly understand. See, in this life, we often have varying degrees of love 
of things and even people in our lives. Right? It's easy for me to say, I love my family more than I love our dogs. And I love our dogs more than the squirrels outside. Right? They can fend for themselves. And, you know, I have three kids, and I could say I love one more than the others. But that would be bad of me to say. Doesn't mean it's not true. I don't know. Depends on what they get me for my birthday. No, that's a horrible thing. But how many of us think that way of God? That God loves me on some kind of scale. Like, sure, He loves me more than the animals. Sure, He maybe loves me more than that murderer who's on death row. But He can't love me as much as He loves that really cool missionary that serves overseas. I know what I've done. I know what I've been like. I know how many times I've disappointed Him. He must love me a little bit less than some of those other Christians in the church. Certainly less than the apostles and the disciples and the authors of Scripture. I'm somewhere on that scale, but not at the top. That's how I think we think of God's love. As if He was a horrible father choosing to love us in that way. But that's not true. And I think the message that we need to hear when life is out of control and our boat is shaking and there's chaos is not only that God loves you, but that God loves you so much it is impossible for Him to love you more. God's love for you cannot grow. It is complete. It is full. This is a crazy statement. If you're in Christ this morning, if you have faith in Him, God loves you, God the Father loves you as much as He loves Jesus. Forget the apostles and the great preachers and teachers through history. If the Father's going to love anyone to an nth degree, wouldn't you think it'd be Jesus Christ, His one and only Son? And yet, in John chapter 17, you don't have to turn there, but I encourage you maybe to read that prayer that Jesus prays for His disciples and for us. In there, He has this little phrase in John 17, verse 23. He says, So that the world may know that you sent me, He's talking to His Father here, and love them even as you loved me. Jesus wants you to know. He prays that you know that the Father loves you with the same love that He loves His Son. The same perfect, complete, never-changing, never-growing love. It's a finished love that God the Father has for you. You can't earn more of it. You'll never deserve any extra. You can't break it and ruin it. Because it didn't depend on you in the first place. God's love for you is finished and complete and full. It is a great love, as Paul says here in verse 4. A great love with which He loved us. 
And then even, he throws in there, even when we were dead in our trespasses, just to prove to you that it's not about what you've done. It's about what he has done. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Greater love has no one than this. Then you lay down your life for your friends. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. He came to this world when you were in your mess. When the chaos of your life was at its zenith. And He gave His life for you. He died on the cross, suffering the full wrath from the Father, which was meant for you because of your sins. He suffered the punishment of this world by the Romans and was rejected by his own people, felt the shame that all the sin piled on him brought. He suffered and died in our place so that we could know his love. There is no greater love than this. It is a great love. That Jesus Christ came to rescue us out of our mess. He catches it through his perfect sacrifice. Then here in verse 7, look again. Chapter 2, verse 7, Ephesians. It says, we have all this so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Sometimes when we're on that shaky ground and our boat feels like it's about to capsize, it feels like God is not kind. It feels as though God is against us. But God's kindness does not run out. His grace does not have a limit. He is rich in grace and His kindness is immeasurable. Immeasurable. You can't measure it. I was poking around and I found a couple of things. I'll have to return these, Terry. I promise I'll put it back. Here's a scale from the copy room. It measures things, how much things weigh. You know, you probably put mail on it and stuff like that. You can zero it out. It's made for light things. If I were to stand on it, I would probably break it, and I'd have to buy a new one, and it would blink, error, error, get off of me, giant man, right? That's, I'm sure, what it would say on the little screen. It's not meant to measure something so heavy. Found a tape measure. John Hawkins, I promise I'll put it back in the closet. It measures things. How wide is this podium? 28 inches, 26 inches. I don't know, it's just shy of 26 inches. Right? It measures things. But its limit is 10 feet. Anything beyond 10 feet? Can't help you out with that. It's as far as it goes. There is no instrument that can measure the grace of God's love. There is no tool, no scale, no tape measure 
nothing that can measure the kindness that God has for you and I. It all just reads error, error. It's too big. His love for us is immeasurable. The grace He shows to us is bigger than we can understand. And when we feel like God is unkind, then here's where we need to have faith. Have faith that God knows more than you. God has a plan that's bigger than you. And God sees all, knows all, and it is true that His kindness is immeasurable and He will continue to show it to you for all of eternity. So the steadfast fatherly love of God, it calls to you when you're in the pit. When you're on that shaky ground, when you're in the boat and the waves are crashing in and the wind is blowing and all seems out of control. May the steadfast love of the Lord never cease. May it meet you in your fears. May you hear the Word of God say, do not fear. And may you rest in the truth of God's immeasurable great love that He has for you. Believe that He will catch whatever mess you find yourself in. That this is very temporary. And that God holds eternity in His hands. And He will bring you to Himself. So believe the love of God for you this morning. Believe in the gift of Christ crucified on the cross for your life. Sacrificing to catch your mess. And believe His whispers over the shouts of the world. May we draw near to the Lord today. And may we walk in the love that God has for us. And I think we do that best when we weep with those who weep, when we rejoice with those who rejoice, when we speak these words of truth to one another, we can steady each other and remind one another that we are not alone. So let's turn to our gracious God, our loving Father, and let's be still and know that He is God this morning. Let's pray. Lord, you were God in Jeremiah's day and you met him in his turmoil. You were God in Paul's day when he was writing to the Ephesians. And you are God in our day. And your steadfast love has been the same the entire time. Your great love for us, which is immeasurable, so big that we don't even have terminology to describe it. Lord, may we feel that this morning. May we trust in that great love. May we lean on you. And would you steady us with your firm hand, even in the storms of life. 
where we feel like we're the disciples at times caught in a boat and the waves are crashing in, the wind is blowing in, and we glance back and we see Jesus sleeping. And Lord, we sometimes feel that way and like, God, what are you doing? Lord, may our hearts have faith that you sit up and you say, be still, calm the waves. May you be the portion that satisfies our soul. Meet us in our mess, in our sin. Rescue us from the ways of evil and the brokenness of this world. Draw near to us, we pray. Calm our hearts and give us faith to trust in you. Thank you, Lord. Amen.